Ooh, all right. Here we go. How are you guys? Thanks, Tom. Uh, I'm okay. My kids are homesick, you know. Is it like, is this September? I think it must be September. There's like so much going on. It's so wild. Um, thanks, Tony, for, for telling us that great joke, number one. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how we should feel about Jesus now. He's going to sick us. Let me just tell you this thing about Jesus. Jesus would never do that. Maybe Jesus the dog would, but, but Jesus is awesome. We'll, we'll actually talk a lot about how great Jesus is this morning, and he's not going to, you know, maul you or anything like that. So I just want to make sure everybody knows that we're on the same page about who Jesus is and what he's like. Funny joke, though. I liked it. Um, and man, I appreciate uh, Tony getting up here and encouraging you guys uh, with the marriage thing. I know, look, at, I know it's a lot of time. I know there's like a lot of things going on. And maybe, maybe you already have plans. Like I know that is uh, Labor Day or no, it's not. Whatever, whatever that day is. Columbus Day weekend. Is that right? No, but it's not that anymore. It's whatever that day is. Whatever. It's October 7th. <laughs> and maybe you have something going on October 7th. And that's fine. But, but look, if you are here at all, I just want to encourage you to sign up for this marriage thing. It's one of those things like, you know, as a pastor, really my job isn't to just do this, to talk to you guys on Sunday mornings. My job is to, and, and the job of the elders is to like take care of the flock, like to take care of people who, who call this church home. And, and one of the ways that we can be discipled and grow and watch over our lives is to watch over our marriages and to make sure that they're quality, because it's, that's like an area where Satan is going to attack. He's going to attack your marriage. To attack your marriage. And so, like, I'm just like, we, we did this thing. We want to do this thing because it's, like, essential. Because the marriage rate in the church and, and in, outside the church is just the, is, is the divorce rate is just the same. It's just the same. Like, we are just as susceptible to, to, to having our marriages fall apart. And the only thing we can do, the only thing we can do is, well, we can pray and we can seek the Lord, but also, like, we can just invest in our marriages. So I just want to encourage you guys to, to even, even, press on you a little bit and just say, hey, as your pastor, please go. I've, I don't think I've ever said that before. I don't know, because I don't like to be that kind of a guy, you know, that kind of, kind of a pastor who's heavy-handed. But on this, I'm going to be heavy-handed. Please be there if you can be there. And invite a friend. Like, it's, it's going to be a good time. It's not going to be lame, if that's your concern. It's not going to be lame. I know you, it's like hard to take my word for it, because you're like, I don't know if that guy knows what's not lame. But I... <laughs> And you might be right on a lot of things, um, but this is not going to be lame. It's, it's, if you go, you'll walk out and say, you know, I'm really glad I went. And I'll give you $3 if that's not the case. I've got to hedge my bets, you know. I'll give you $3 if you don't feel that way. Per couple. <laughs> uh, anyways, $3. I just went to the Snoqualmie garage sale. $3 will get you a lot. So, um, okay, now moving on. All right, so we're actually going to do some Bible study right now. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up. We're in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 23, verse 12, picking up there. And we're continuing on in the book of Acts. Um, and you've, you've probably noticed, if you've, been, if you've been following along, that the last, two, the last couple of chapters are like super plot-driven. Like, just stuff is happening, stuff is happening. It's actually really hard to teach just plot, you know, because it's like, I can read it, and then you'd be like, well, that's what happened. And then I have to figure out something to say about it. So that's just my own personal problem, <laughs> which actually is your problem, I guess. So, um, but there's a lot happening. Uh, Paul's come back to Jerusalem. 
knowing, like he's, he's knowing, he's fully aware that as he goes there, he's going to face danger, he's going to be arrested when he, when he arrives, and that's exactly what happens. Um, he gets there, and within a week's time, he is uh, beaten and in prison. And um, over the last couple chapters, and continuing on in today, in, in Acts uh, 23, 12, Paul is just, he's being tossed around. He's being tossed around. There's a, a group of Jews who want to arrest him and kill him, and there's a group of Romans who are just really trying to keep the peace in Jerusalem, and they find that whenever this, this Paul guy is out and about, things get a little dicey. And so they're like playing capture the flag, the Romans and, and, and this group of Jews, and, and Paul is the flag, trying to get a hold of Paul by any means. And Paul is he's in the middle of all of this. He's, he's currently, where we left off at the end, uh, he's in a Roman prison, and he's being comforted by the Lord. Like literally the Lord shows up to him um, and uh, he says to him, like, like in, in verse 11, have courage for as you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so it's necessary for you to testify in Rome. So Paul is in a rough circumstance. He's confident that God wants him in Jerusalem. He's confident he's in the right place. But even in the midst of all that confidence, he's, you know, locked in prison and the Lord sees it fit to encourage him to just go and meet with him right in that place so that he might not be discouraged. And he says, have courage. What I called you to, you called you to testify in Jerusalem and now I've called you to testify in Rome, like you're going to get there. And that was like perfect timing. For, for Paul. It was perfect timing for Paul to be encouraged in that way. He needed that encouragement a lot because as the story unfolds, like his trip to Rome would be contested immediately. And so let's, let's pick up there in Acts uh, 23, 12. When it was morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 who had formed this plot. These men went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have, uh, we have formed this plot. Uh, oh, it's not, we, we have bound ourselves under a solemn curse and we won't eat anything until we have killed Paul. So now you, along with the Sanhedrin, make a request to the commander that he uh, bring him down to, uh, to, to, to you as if you were going to investigate his case more thoroughly. But before he gets near, we are ready to kill him. But the son of Paul's sister, hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to him. And so he took him and he brought him to the commander and said, the prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. And the commander took him by the hand, let, uh, let, uh, let him, led him aside and inquired privately, what is it that you have to report to me? The Jews, he said, have agreed to, uh, to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow, as though they were going to hold a uh, somewhat more careful inquiry about him. Don't let them persuade you, because there are more than 40 men, uh, 40 of them lying in ambush, men who have bound themselves under the curse, under a curse not to eat or drink until they have killed, killed him. Now they are ready, uh, waiting for you to consent." So the commander dismissed the young man and instructed him, don't tell anyone that you've informed me about this. So the same men who had been plotting to kill Paul, who started a riot outside the temple, are coming back 
but this time they are just dead set on getting the job done. And they make an oath. They make an oath. They're not going to eat anything or drink anything until they kill Paul. So there's some urgency in it for them. And they work with the chief priests who we'd looked at last week and kind of thought about his character. They work with this man to, to lay a trap for Paul, to draw Paul out. And they ask Ananias, the chief priest, to call back to the council, to call him back to the council, to have the Romans bring him back as if they're going to, you know, ask him more questions. And what they're going to do is as Paul comes down, they're going to ambush him and kill him. And, and I mean, obviously, not only are they going to kill him, they're also going to kill whatever Roman soldiers are with him because they would, of course, defend Paul against this, uh, this horde of, of, of assassins. And so um, you're going to kill Paul and going to kill these Romans. And the irony of this, the irony of this is that these men who are so zealous, so into the law of God, these people who say like, man, we are just trying to defend God and, and God's name and God's ways, they decide that the best way to do that is to express their love for God by, uh, by taking an oath to murder someone, something that is totally against God's law right? But they've convinced themselves. Just like Ananias, who we looked at uh, last week, they've convinced themselves that this is the right idea. The right idea. These, these zealots have totally lost the plot. They've totally lost any sense of, of, of what they should be doing. And they're, they're justifying their own actions. And stepping back, I think, looking at them and thinking about them, they, these men are really just a remarkable picture of sin, what sin is like in our lives, in, in their life and in our life. Like it's the same thing. They're planning on breaking God's law by murdering Paul and murdering other people along the way. I mean, that's, that alone is just such an obvious red flag. Like that's, that's a pretty important commandment. Don't murder. Like it's, it's pretty high up there. Even they would have been able to see that for what it is. But sin has so twisted their thinking that they just totally set aside God's law. And they're doing so, at least in their own minds, because they think that's what God wants them to do. That's what will make for God's glory. That's what, we'll, what we can do to, to defend God. And it's shocking, or it would be, I think we would be more shocked by this, were it not such a common twisting of logic, something that we do all the time. Indeed, I find that, I, that, that my capacity... Uh, uh, the capacity that I know is in myself, and I'm sure that you've seen um, in your own life and in your own actions to, to twist and to justify your desires and to, to, to act like God is okay with it. You've seen it. I've seen it. So we're not super shocked by what we see here. What we do is, is, is we decide what we want, and then we, 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 we sit with our desires and we assume, well, because I want this so badly, God must want it too. And, and we ignore God's law, or we just don't consider like mm, that I'm really bound to honor him and, and to be faithful to him. And so we decide, man, oh, this, I, I just need to do this thing because really it's just, it's just reasonable. Any reasonable person would see that I have to do this in order to pursue this thing that I really want. And if I want this thing so badly, it must be what God wants 
And so we use that type of logic, the same type of logic that they're doing to justify our decisions and our desires. And we, we, we move on. That's, that's the way sin works out in our lives. And no doubt these men would have, uh, have been um, convinced that killing Paul was necessary because, because he was teaching people, well, according to them, not to obey God's law, though that's not at all what he was saying. And, and because, well, he was teaching people not to obey, obey God's laws, then they were perfectly justified in breaking God's law in order to defend God's law. This is the kind of twisted thinking that they're enacting in which I think we experience all the time. And I think it's worth spending some time thinking about these men this morning and thinking about sin. Um, Sin is just one of these inescapable realities. In terms of like, like the biblical worldview, sin is just the background. It's the thing that we're all under. You, me, these men, and Paul, we are born into sin. We have this tendency to excuse ourselves, to justify ourselves, to... to just ignore what God wants from us and live unto our own desires. It's common to all people. And the fact that it's so common, I think, can lead us, right, to be tempted to just throw up our hands and just say, well, what can you do? It's the world we live in. The world is a messy place. People are messy. I'm a messy person. But what Paul knew, and I think what we need to know and I, it's, it's like such a relief to know it. We are not at the mercy of sin. We are not stuck in these, these patterns of self-delusion. In fact, we are called to be free from those things. Those who are called, and this is kind of like kind of my outline for today. Uh, those who through faith and repentance are in Christ have been forgiven of sin called to holiness, and empowered to live righteously. See, these other people were willing to put down the law of God in order to to defend God's law. But what Paul has seen and understood is that by faith in Jesus Christ, something else can happen. There's an empowering and enabling and a calling that that is made possible through faith, through forgiveness, through what Jesus has done. Paul has a totally different way of looking at the problem of sin in the world. And it's not a way of looking at all these bad people and saying we should do something about them, but it's looking at the difficulties of the world, the difficulties himself, and just saying, yet we still have hope that we can live in a righteous way. God has hope for us. We all sin we all fall into to self-deception, but Christians have something that they can do about it. You have something that you can do about your own sin. You have something that you can do about the sin in the world. You don't just have to just go down the path of self-righteousness. And Paul understood this well. And in fact, I would say the whole Christian life is about partnering with God to do something about sin in my life. That's what my spiritual journey is about. It's partnering with God to do something about the sin, uh, sin in my own life. 
And I just want to stop and think about that for a moment. Look, every worldview, every philosophy, every religion makes a claim to identify the real problem, the real problem with the world. And Christianity does that too. But in a very unique way, Christian faith points squarely at the problem, sin, and then, and in almost, it's, it's a hard to fathom sort of way, also presents the solution, and it's God's grace. It's his forgiveness and his kindness. So the Bible makes it clear that the problem that we suffer from, the problem that the world suffers from, the problem that you suffer from and these men suffered from and that Paul suffered from is sin. You're born into sin. Romans 3.23, a, a, a verse I'm sure you've heard many times, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have a sin problem. Sin is a universal human problem. We suffer from it. But just because sin is common to man doesn't mean that it is anything less than a tragedy. It's tragic that we are so contorted by sin. Sin is wrecking your life. It's wrecking my life unless we do something about it. Sin is destroying the world. It's causing war and strife and bitterness and decay. It's breaking everything that God has intended to be beautiful. And it has corrupted us And in its corruption, it is totally keeping the world from its purpose. It's keeping you from your purpose. Sin is subjecting all things to futility. But we have something that we can do about it. But we need to begin by understanding what a deep problem it is. C.S. Lewis says, One essential symptom of the regenerate life is a permanent and permanently horrified perception of one's natural and, it seems, unalterable corruption. The true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. That's a pretty gross image. It's gross because Lewis points out and makes clear that once we come to know Jesus, we recognize that we have a huge problem Sin is not a small problem. It's not something we can just shrug our shoulders at. It's one that is deep and wide and stinky. And it's not just, it's not just arbitrarily bad. Sin is not just arbitrarily bad. It's not like, well, sin's a problem because God decided it was a problem. You know, it doesn't glorify him. We're not obeying him. He wants to be in charge. It's not arbitrarily bad. It's not just bad because God says so. It's a tragedy because it ruins us for what we were created to be. It ruins us to be people of peace, people who are bearing his image, people who are, who are uh, being used to bless the whole world. Matthew Bates describes kind of a situational predicament of sin. He says this, the fundamental human sin is to make our own moral choices apart from God's directives. This is sin distilled. God tells us how we should behave but we don't trust that he has our best interests in mind. And so we decide what is right and wrong for ourselves, and then we act on it. Practically, the outworking looks like this. God gives a command, don't commit adultery. I think, for example, well, that sounds arbitrary. You see, there's this girl and she needs me and I need her. Plus, I know God God, that you say that this relationship wouldn't be best, but I want this. And she does too. It's a messy world. So this choice is good enough given the circumstances. This is the logic of sin. 
We take God's law and we just relativize it and we think, well, things don't ever work out the way they're supposed to be and we can just make the best of a situation. What sin does though is it lets us actualize on our mistaken ideas of goodness. We think that the best that we can hope for is just less of a mess when in fact we're called to holiness and righteousness. Sin, though, emboldens us to live amiss, to chase after things that aren't going to be of value, and to call our error the best option, even call it a good choice. And it leads us to live a life that is so far below what we were made for and what we're called to. Cornelius Plantinga says this, God hates sin not just because it violates his law, but more substantively because it violates shalom, that's peace, the Hebrew word for peace, because it breaks the peace, because it interferes with the way things are supposed to be. Sin is a problem because God has designed the world and he's designed it good. He's designed it well. He's designed us to have a purpose in it. And our pursuing sin just ends up totally robbing us of any sense of what we are supposed to be doing in life. So maybe you feel purposeless. Maybe you feel like, what is this life for? And I would just tell you, and it's not like, like an accusation, but you have a sin problem of some kind. Maybe it's like a secondary, tertiary effect of sin. Maybe you're not like in anything that you know. But in the end, like if we are feeling as if, man, life is not the way it's supposed to be. It's because we are suffering under the impacts of sin. Sin is a tragedy. And it's one of these tragedies that continues to repeat itself. It continues to dig us deeper and deeper and to bear more fruit More fruit, not the kind that you want. (laughs) It's an invasive species and it brings us right to death. And the Christian faith, we we just recognize that that's true. But like I said before, we have to, as much as we recognize the tragedy of sin, we recognize that we have an amazing solution to the problem of sin. Romans 3.23 goes on. All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. As much as the Bible is loud and clear about the problem of sin, it is even louder and more um, stringent about the solution. We do, we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. We have these patterns of of, of contorting God's law and accepting less than he's called us to. But we have in the middle of all of that, a gift. We are justified freely by grace through redemption that is in Jesus Christ. The gift is the person, the son of God, come to earth, taken on flesh, offering himself up to take away our sin, to adopt us in. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has bought for us redemption from sin. He paid the price. He, through his death and through his resurrection, he saves us from it. He takes away our guilt. He forgives us of sin. But not only that, having forgiven us, he invites us into a new kind of life, a redeemed life in him, a grace-filled saved life, a life where he's present, where he is restoring the purpose and giving us the joy that we've lost and filling us up so that we might have a relationship with him. He's fixing what sin has robbed from us. 
He's dealt with sin. He's opened the way for us to be forgiven. And we enter into that. We experience that through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, you're saved by grace, that is a gift of God, through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's God's gift. It's not from works so that no one can boast. I think we all get, and we've probably thought about, if you've, if you've been a Christian for at least a little bit, you understand that Jesus' sacrifice like, gets you into heaven. It gets you into a life with God. It gets you back into a relationship with God. It's like the door. And we understand that faith is this trusting, surrendering, repenting, giving up of myself, giving myself to God, turning away from the old, turning towards the new. We understand that faith is man, believing that Jesus has taken my sin from me so that I don't have to bear it anymore. I don't have to be afraid of punishment any longer. But I, I, I think where we fail in our faith is this secondary side of things. Like we fail to sit with the fullness of what God promises in Christ. We've been adopted into a story that we didn't earn ourselves into. We didn't, by our good works or by how great of a person we are, prove ourselves to God or somehow to be worthy of, 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 of being a part of his life. Like he's just given us a gift, grace and salvation so that we would know who he is and know what he's like. But our faith doesn't end there. It actually only just begins right there. Had Paul just stopped there, he would not have been any different than these men who tried to kill him. But Paul's faith in Jesus started him down this road of inner transformation. Forgiven of sin, but then freed from sin in his life. Like, like making it so that he could seek after the righteousness of God and the glory of God through trust and through faith. Paul's faith in Jesus led him to not just like a way to be okay with God, but a whole new way of living his life. A whole new way of thinking about what it is to be a person and what it is to have purpose and what it is to, to do things in the world. Faith changed everything for Paul. Faith changed everything for Paul. It was the principle that directed his entire life. It led him to a new way of thinking about himself. Faith in the forgiveness and the love of Jesus led him to just become a transformed person. We can never get over faith. And like, I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> my wife's not here. She's probably watching online. Sorry, honey. So like last, 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 last week, gave a message, talked about humility, talked about like not being anxious. And then I went home and my wife, in, in kindness and in love, not in any kind of snark, she said, do you think it's a little ironic that you taught all, all about this whole like not being, not being anxious thing and you've spent this whole weekend being really, really anxious. 
And I said, well. <laughs> Look, the thing is, like, I get up here and I, I talk about this stuff. Um, and I think it's, it's part of my job. Like, you know, I don't, I don't stand up here as the greatest practitioner in the world. I want to be. But my brain is so messed up. Like, I, I read this book. And I take it as revelation. I say, this is what God says is true. And I come and tell you this is true. But sometimes I go home and I fret. <laughs> it's not, and that, I, don't, I don't think, by the way, God's like so, so disappointed in this pastor, really. He's really shirking, you know? I don't think he thinks of me as a shirker. Sometimes, sometimes I'm a shirker. But not in that instance. What I am is just like you, somebody who's, I understand what I'm called to. I understand what Jesus has opened up. And yet it is difficult to live by faith. But that does not mean that I need to just like ignore it and act like, like maybe you're at the point where you say, this is hard. This is hard. I just keep going back to my anxiety. I keep going back to my sin. I keep going back to trusting in the things I've always trusted. in. yet you have deeply ingrained habits, but you are not under the power of sin any longer. But the hard work of faith, if there's, if there's work in it, it is just being persistent. Uh, John Wimber says this. He says, I'm going to read this one slowly. I think this is really good. Sometimes we act like distrusting, rebellious children. We say, no, no. You might make me do something that I don't want to do. You might make me go somewhere I don't want to go. You might make me different than I want to be. I don't mean to be too harsh because I understand the problem, but the truth is that God is generous and caring and gracious towards us. He's so worthy of our trust. So many of us are going to have a surprise when we stand before God on the final day and we will have missed how good our Lord is, how kind and loving and gracious. And we'll discover that he had wanted to give us so much more here and now that we couldn't rec- and we couldn't receive it because we had fearful expectations. And I find so much what keeps me from, from this life of faith that I know I'm called to is that I'm, 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 I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what a life of, of trusting and faith might look like. And at this point, I mean, I'm a pastor, like, I'm sort of committed. Like, what, what is keeping me from it, you know? And I think it's in the end, like, I just have sin in my mind in these secondary levels. I'm like, okay, I've, I've given up my life to God. I'm, like, literally trusting, like, like my family, my well-being, my career to God. But I don't want to trust him in this. and I don't want to trust him in this. And I want to have control. And I want to bring about things the way I want it to be. And, and like, 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 yeah, I like can do like primary stuff. But like the secondary stuff of trusting the Lord, man, I just, don't, I just don't go there enough. I haven't pushed myself enough because maybe I'm afraid. But God is good. God is faithful. And if he's forgiven me of sin, he hasn't done that for no reason. What does he have to do to prove his love for you? What does he have to do to prove his love for me? 
to the point where I could just say, okay, God, I'm going to live by faith in you now. I'm going to follow this race that you've set out before me all the way down. The Christian life runs on the rails of faith. Or, you know, another little Wimber phrase is, the way in is the way on. The way in is by faith. We all get that. But the way on, the way forward in the Christian life is by faith. And so, guys, if you are like, ah, yeah, I've been a Christian a long time. I don't know. It's, it's good. It's nice to be forgiven. It's nice to have no, not, a, not have a guilty conscience before God. That's great. Like, but is there more to it? Yeah, there's more to it by faith continuing to trust the Lord, continuing to put away sin by faith, continuing to let God change me from the inside out by faith, continuing to let him do something good in my life so that I could face problems like the stuff that Paul's is going through and just, just trust. You don't have to stay the same. It's the crazy thing. I think about this all the time. The promise of the Christian faith is you don't have to stay the same. You, you can have freedom. Jesus sets us free. You don't need to sit or make peace with or resign yourself to to restlessness or hopelessness or sin or temptation or anger or addiction or whatever the thing is that you're carrying around in your life or like me, I don't know, whatever it is, anxiety. We have an empowering. We have an equipping through faith and repentance. We've been forgiven of sin, but we're also called to live in a transformed way, empowered to live righteously. Galatians 3, 3. I really like this verse. Paul just like lays it on here. (laughs) Writing to the Galatians, he says, Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, Are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the spirit to work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing in what you heard? Just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. And those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. Paul made these law-keeping people angry because he said he would, he would have agreed with them that they're after the same thing. They're after the same thing, after the glory of God, after righteousness. After a project to see people changed and honoring God and to see the whole world bowing before him and caring for him, except Paul had a serious disagreement. What he saw in scriptures was there there was revealed a plan of how to actually make that happen. So the plan that these people who were trying to kill Paul to make that happen was we have to enforce the rules. And if that means we have to break some rules along the way, we're going to do it anyway to bring about the righteousness of God, to bring about law-keeping so that God will finally come in and kill these Romans and set everything right. That was their plan to bring about righteousness. But Paul understands, and what he goes around preaching to the whole world is that God has another way of bringing about righteousness. It's through faith. 
The Spirit has begun a work in them. And they need to persist on in it. How do we get made perfect in Christ? How do, we, how do we grow in maturity? It's through faith. I love it. He says, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing works of the law, or is it by believing what you heard? It's a rhetorical question that's really pressing us to think. So, I mean, just like, just to sit with this for a second. Where are you going in your Christian life? Where are you going? Like, where's the destination? What do you want? What do you want? Is it like, man, I've been struggling with the same sin for a long time. I want to see that put away. Is it, I'm an anxious person. I don't know how to trust God. I want to put, put that away. Is it, I, I'm just like, like lonely and feel uh, disempowered and I feel discouraged and I want to be encouraged. Like I want God to come and sit with me like, like he does with, with Paul here as he's in prison and just, just give him encouragement. Is it that you want to see justice happen in the world? Like, do you want to see the world change? Do you want to see God honored? Like, God has put these desires within us. He, he wants us to want what he wants. And yet he shows us over and over and over again, these things are going to happen. Like, transformation is going to happen. You're going to be different. The world around you is going to be different. Your family is going to be different. You're going to have a tra- transformed life as you sit and you believe, and you trust, and you continue on in that trust. Continue on in belief. His point is not, oh, Galatians, you don't need to worry about sin. Oh, sin's not, sin's not that big of a deal. His point is that you have to persist in faith in order to enter into what God has for you. And his point, I think, is also, and we, we can take it because he reminds the Galatians of it, he reminds the Corinthians of it, every, everyone who Paul ministered to, he has to go back and tell them, remind them of the importance of faith. Faith is the gas that drives the engine of the Christian life. Without it, we just run out of steam. Titus 2, 11 through 14, says this. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse us for himself, cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. I'm not nearly as eager for things of the Lord as I should be. I just confess that to you. I'm eager to do well. I'm eager too much to have people think I do well. I'm eager too much to accept something less than what God calls me to. I'm eager for that. I'm eager to feel in control. I'm eager to succeed in the eyes of men. I'm eager to do so many things that are less than what God calls me to. And I, you know, this isn't about me. 
<laughs> it's about all of us because I think that we have that like thing. I think, I, think, I think if I asked you to assess your own eagerness, maybe you could get to a point of honesty and just say, man, I'm not sure. Not, not always. I'm not consistently eager. And in fact, I think probably a lot of us feel pretty apathetic. I feel like, I feel like the, last, the last three months, like I just feel like waking up the last couple of weeks, I'm just feel like, where have I been? Like, what have I spent three months doing? Like, what am I really, what am I really eager to? What have I been pursuing? <sighs> just felt like apathetic. Why aren't we, like it says here in Titus 2, why aren't we not always consistently eager to do good works? Why are we not always consistently seeking what the Lord has for us? Well, I think it's because we've set aside the first part of that sentence. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people of his own possession. I think I I say, I I come in the door, I come in by faith, and then I'm going to do something for God. But what the Bible has as the pattern for a transformed life, for God forming people after his own image, taking away sin and bringing them into something new is he's redeemed us from lawlessness, cleansed us for his own possession. And I don't sit by faith in this reality that's promised in Jesus Christ. I think kind of like your kids in the bathtub, right? They get in, they get wet. They say, I'm clean. And then you say, no. <laughs> Don't get out of the tub just yet, buddy. You get the soap out and, 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 you, and you clean. See, I, man, I just like do not have the habit enough. And I think we don't have the habit enough of realizing but yeah, like forgiven, adopted, everything we have in Christ, but he wants to do more. And we're not on a fool's errand. It's not, oh, he would do more, but you're just not the type. It's not, he's going to do more. Just stay there. Like, let him be like a father who cares for you. Let him be like one who knows how to unravel the sin in your heart and the apathy and like your, your just eagerness to accept less than what he has for you. Let him to be, be like, like the great physician that he says he is. I just want to move on with my life. That's it. That's my greatest problem. Me and my desire to live my life according to my plan. To, to lead the church according to my plan. Like I should know that's a bad idea. <laughs> to lead my family according to my plan. But faith just stops and just says, no, I realize the only thing good in my life, the only way forward to purpose, to fulfillment, to a transformed self is to just sit there by faith looking to my Savior and to teach myself to go back over and over and over again. If I don't, if I have apathy, you know, if I, if I don't desire the right things, then I need to go back. I need to learn to walk by faith. Worship team's gonna come up here. Um, you know, guys, that's, I'm, like, this is like a one-point message, right? <laughs> it's like we need to, to learn to walk by faith. 
But I've just been, um, I like rewrote like half of this this morning. I feel like it's a little choppy, you can tell. But I don't care. I mean, this, I, mean I feel like this is what I was supposed to say. So I guess I do care. That's the problem. I do care. I want it to be more impressive than that was. Guys, I don't know what I want. I don't know what you want. But I do know that God promises good things. I do know that he promises way more than we could ask or think or expect. And I would hope that maybe you could take this season that's normally just about busyness and getting on with life, right? September, just getting through things and powering through. Would you maybe sit with the Lord and ask him instead to slow you down? and to, to ask the Lord this question and ask him to answer it. What do you have for me in this month or in these two months, you know, in this time between now and Christmas? What do you have for me? Do you have something more than what I'm living for? Do you have something like really good and really beautiful, like something fulfilling and hopeful and for your glory, Lord? And maybe I'm just like so blind to it so blind to your purposes and being, 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 being a part of your life because I'm so eager to do my works. It is so easy to be busy. It is so easy to neglect the life of faith. I, I'm the first to tell you that I do that. But I don't want to do that anymore. We want to walk by faith. And so like, if we, like, we want to have like faith like Paul had, entrusting everything to God, then it just begins by, by seeing life for what it is. Seeing life for what it is. Seeing your calling for what it is. The good comes as we entrust ourselves to the Lord. We continue to have faith for all of his purposes. So I'm just gonna, I'm just, you know, I've talked enough. I just wanna pray because in the end, like we just need to come before God, the one who is doing miracles, the one who brings life, the one who brings peace and hope, and he just does it on his own. He does it by his spirit, not because we're so great. Like, like he, his blessing precedes our transformation. And it makes possible our transformation, this holy life that we're called to, it makes possible. So Jesus, um, could you just uncomplicate our minds and our hearts for us? And stop with our excuses and silence our anxieties. Holy Spirit, would you be with us, Lord, as a good father, as one who cares for us, one in whom's presence we don't need to be anxious, but that we can trust that you're good. And would you teach us that that simple act of faith, persisting to seek you in your ways is the only thing we need to keep us pointed in the right direction and moving on. Lord, it is by faith that you work in our lives. And God, we, we make it about so many other things, so many other projects that we impose upon you, Lord, just unclutter our lives. Lord, even in this moment, would you tell us like, like something that we can change, Lord, to just come back in faith to you, like a habit we can build in our life to, to continue to direct us into faith. 
Lord, something that we need to give up, something that's in the way, something that you're going to empower us to leave behind. Lord, would you reveal those things right now? Would you convict us like you say you will in your word of sin, righteousness, judgment, the sin that we carry along, the calling that we have to righteousness, and the fact that, man, we, we are going to live a life that we have to give an account for one day. Oh, Lord, we want to give a good account of the things you've done and not be disappointed any longer, Lord. Lord, you're not a God of disappointment. You're so gracious and you're so kind, Lord. Lord, open our eyes to see it. Set us upon this path, Lord, the gospel path of finding ourselves forgiven and adopted and, and washed clean in your presence. Lord, do the work and have your way. Lord, make us people who are just set apart for you, pursuing you by faith. Lord, let that one thing, faith in you, seeking you day by day, Lord, let that thing drive our lives forward. Lord, let us forsake everything but faith in you. Everything that doesn't come from faith, Lord, you say is of no value to us. Lord, we want those things and the empowering to walk by faith. So fill us up with your spirit and send us out according to your plan. We ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, let's worship the Lord together. Let's stand together.